Welcome to Blitzcast, an NFL Draft podcast brought to you by NFLDraftBlitz.com. And now, your hosts, Alex Kavtov and Ed Hunt. Welcome to another episode of Blitzcast. And we will start with Julio Jones at the top of the show because when he joined and talked to Shannon Sharp on Undisputed, Shannon Sharp and Skip Bayless have that show on Fox Sports. He basically said that he doesn't expect to be in Atlanta this season, that he's out of there. Whether he knew that he was live on the show or not, I I guess we don't know. I was looking forward to seeing Kyle Pitts and Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley. I mean, the Falcons were going to make it fun. Their offense was going to be a juggernaut, but it sounds like Julio is a goner. He's going to go to some team that's more likely to win today. It's going to give him that opportunity to get back into the playoffs because, I mean, let's be fair. The Falcons are in no way, shape, or form ready to compete in the NFC South division, and therefore I don't blame Julio for trying to go elsewhere. So, Ed, I'm going to bring you in. I just want to find out where you think. What are his landing spots? What are a couple of teams that might be looking into his services? I I think there's three teams that make a lot of sense, uh, and I can, can kind of give you why. I think some of them make more sense than others. Um, you know, one one of them is Baltimore. You know, that, that team is really maybe one receiver away from, you know, being, you know, a Super Bowl contender. I mean, if you give Lamar Jackson, Julio Jones, they just signed Sammy Watkins. But, I mean, if you're a GM, right, you know, are, are you going to go with Sammy Watkins? I mean, are you going to care about, you know, whether Sammy Watkins gets on the field when, you know, you have the opportunity to get Julio Jones. That's how I think about it. But, you know, if I'm the Ravens and I believe in Sammy Watkins, then maybe he is that kind of third piece to that receiving core, you know, with Bateman and Hollywood Brown uh, in the receiving core. Because, you know, it's been a couple-year project to kind of rebuild that receiving core for the Ravens. But, that you know, he would make a lot of sense there. Uh, and then there's the Colts. I mean, great organization run by Chris Ballard. You know, they have a lot of pieces. They they would have a very good offense, and they would give Carson Wentz every opportunity to succeed if they had him. My question about the whole thing is, is that, you know, does Julio Jones want to play with Carson Wentz when Carson Wentz played as bad as he did last year? That's the downside. But I think the Colts, I mean, the, the Colts would definitely want to acquire him. You know, you're sick of hearing this, but... You know, I, I think New England would be a great landing spot. I mean, the Patriots have taken a lot of veteran guys, a lot of guys who've been big names later in their career and gotten good things. I mean, uh, you know, not that I would say that Julio Jones is Randy Moss, but I mean, you know, this is a very much like a Randy Moss pickup late in his career. Um, you know, he would come in, be the number one, uh, you know, whether it's Cam Newton or Mac Jones is who they roll with. I mean, they would have a very good offense, good offensive line, you know, with some offensive weapons. So I, I think I think that New England is, uh, you know, a definite option. And, you know, you know, they're going to be aggressive to try to get him. My counter argument to the Patriots is that Bill Belichick loves to bring in veterans, but he likes to bring them at the right price. He knows he's going to have to give up a day two pick, most likely a second round pick, and then take on that salary. That's a lot. I mean, Randy Moss showed up there after he failed miserably with the Raiders, 
and he resurrected his career, it was a little bit different. They got him on the cheap. So Bill Belichick likes to bring in veterans, and he wouldn't mind bringing Julio Jones for a couple of million dollars, but not for the salary that he's making for the next three years. I mean, Bill doesn't want to get tied down with that. So I exclude the Patriots from this conversation just because I I don't see that happening in no way, shape, or form. I like the Ravens, and I like the Colts because it makes sense. I mean, who cares if the Ravens sign Sammy Watkins? Sammy Watkins has never been a number one wide receiver in this league. Never. Even when he was with the Bills. Even when he was with the Rams. He was more of a number two, number three, most likely. So that would make sense. I mean, you drafted Tylen Wallace. You drafted Rashad Bateman. You have Hollywood Brown. But if you can bring in Julio Jones, he can be that number one target for Lamar Jackson. So I... I completely agree with that. You make that team stronger and you make that team better to make that playoff run. I also think the Colts make sense. I mean, you traded for Carson Wentz, new quarterback. T.Y. Hilton is no longer a number one wide receiver in this league. And the Colts need a number one guy. And can you imagine Julio Jones, T.Y. Hilton, and Michael Pittman? That's a really good receiving core. And to top it all off, you still want to run the football with Jonathan Taylor. So it makes a hell of a lot of sense. I'm also going to throw in the 49ers. I think San Francisco has to be in the conversation. They've got a good cap situation. Plus, there's a connection with the Falcons here. Julio Jones played for Kyle Shanahan who was an offensive coordinator there when Matt Ryan had an MVP type of season. Julio prospered in Kyle Shanahan's offense. And yes, the 49ers have Brandon Ayuk and and Debo Samuel, but the truth is they don't have a number one wide receiver. Julio Jones would make that offense better. And with all the pieces coming back, especially on defense, all those injuries that the 49ers had last year, this team is going to be competing for a playoff spot. I don't care who your quarterback is, Jimmy G or Trey Lance. That's a QB wide receiver friendly offense. Kyle Shanahan would make Julio the number one guy and he would get a lot of targets there. So I would say San Francisco is is a big landing spot. I've also heard the Arizona Cardinals, but I just don't understand how they would make it work. I mean, I realize Cliff Kingsbury likes to throw the football around, but he already has DeAndre Hopkins. He's got A.J. Green. He's got Christian Kirk. And then you add Julio Jones in the conversation. There's just not enough footballs to go around. How are you going to keep everyone happy in that offense? But I think Arizona has been a landing spot that people have talked over and over again on, on these shows out there. But I think San Francisco, Baltimore, and the Colts make a lot more sense than, say, Arizona or the Patriots. When when you say Arizona, I mean, why, why would, you know, a landing spot for Julio, I... They've added a lot of big names, and I, I worry about a team that adds a lot of. I mean, we've seen like in the NBA, you know, when a team adds a lot of superstars, you know, you think, oh, they're going to be loaded, they're going to dominate, and sometimes they just don't play well together. I mean, you just added JJ Watt, so I mean, you know, you just added a superstar. I don't, I don't like adding too many superstars, too many big names to your roster in an off season. So that's why Arizona doesn't make sense for me. My counter-argument to that is Tampa Bay Bucks also built an all-star team. They brought everyone that they can find on the trade market, free agent market, and look, where, look what happened to them. They won a Super Bowl. So if that didn't occur, I would also be uh, on your bandwagon and say, hey, I don't like these 
these all-star teams. You know, it works in basketball, but it doesn't work in football. But Tampa Bay certainly made it work. And I'm sure Cliff Kingsbury would be ecstatic to get somebody like Julio Jones in his offense. And you know they're not going to run the football. Cliff Kingsbury wants to throw the ball around the yard. He wants to spread it out. I can imagine Julio being there. But again, I am more in tune with Julio going to San Francisco. Because to me, that's a perfect landing spot in terms of the money, in terms of cap space, in terms of the offense. He knows that offense. He's comfortable. He knows Kyle Shanahan. And the 49ers, they have George Kittle, you know, over the middle. But they need a number one guy on the outside. Debo and Brandon Ayuk are not number one guys. And I don't think they'll ever be number one guys. They're more complimentary receivers, like number two, number three. And I just think the 49ers need to make a splash, especially with a few pieces coming back from injury, like Nick Bosa. I mean, the San Francisco 49ers are going to be lethal there. Speaking of the Niners, we're continuing to do the recap and breaking down these each division at a time. And we're going to be talking about the NFC West this week and the AFC West as far as the draft is concerned. And the San Francisco 49ers... Had the number three overall pick. They traded up. They gave up two future first-round picks. They gave up a 12th overall pick. And and then they gave away a third-round pick in order to move up and select a quarterback. We we beat this to death. You know, a lot of people expected this to be Mac Jones. But, Ed, they selected, and their quarterback of the future is Trey Lance. Yeah, and I, I mean, this is this is a high-risk, high-reward kind of pick. I mean, if you can make this work, I mean, if Kyle Shanahan can make this work and make it work how he wants to, this is worth it. But I felt that there were safer picks on the board. Well, it's not about safe. I mean, obviously, they're betting for the future, and Kyle Shanahan believes that the, the sky is the limit, and you can build this offense around Trey Lance and make it even better than what it has been with you know, Kirk Cousins and Matt Ryan and and Jimmy G. Again, the sky is the limit. They certainly went with a guy that has as much upside as any of the quarterbacks in this year's draft. Then on day three, some interesting picks occurred. Uh, In the second round, they went with offensive guard Aaron Banks out of Notre Dame. In the third round, they went with the running back out of Ohio State, Trey Sermon. And then they chose a cornerback out of Michigan, Ambry Thomas. I really like Aaron Banks' uh, pick. You know, I, I think I think you put him in at guard. I think he becomes your right guard. And actually, I, I know this is not a big storyline, but the 49ers are putting together a really nice offensive line, Alex. That's what I'm saying. It doesn't matter who is going to be their quarterback, Trey Lance or Jimmy G in 2021. Wouldn't you want to play here? Because, again, the defensive pieces are coming back. They have addressed their offensive line through the draft. They also re-signed Trent Williams to be their left tackle of the future. They're going to have that running game. Again, the, the sky is the limit this year for the San Francisco 49ers, and they certainly have added some pieces here. Oh, did you like any of their picks on day three? When talking about day three, I, I didn't love any of the picks, but, I mean, Elijah Mitchell is interesting to me. Um he had a really good junior year, but he was running behind Robert Hunt and uh, Kevin Dotson. And so it, it kind of begs the question is, is, you know, you give this guy a good offensive line 
And what kind of what kind of running back is he? You know, um, he's you know he's kind of an unknown. But I mean, you know, this could be this could be like lightning in a bottle. He's also a good receiver out of the backfield. I think that's a really underrated part of his game. I like the Hufanga pick in the fifth round. Uh, again, I projected him as early day two pick, and he fell all the way to the fifth round because he just he doesn't have those the speed or the quickness. But he's kind of an old-school safety. It's just going to hit you. It's going to tackle you. He's really instinctive. I like the Hufanga pick. I thought that was an excellent one. Let's go to the Arizona Cardinals. And the first pick in the first round was Zabin Collins, a linebacker out of Tulsa. Yeah, Zabin Collins was a great player at Tulsa. And when we had that Tulsa beat writer on the show, um, they, they said as much. You know, I, I didn't expect him to go as early as he did, but I do I do think it is a good value pick at 16. Well, I think they needed an edge rusher. Hassan Reddick signed with Carolina. Chandler Jones is coming off an injury. Marcus Golden's production dropped last year. Collins was a solid pick. He, he's probably going to start opposite of, you know, Chandler Jones and certainly not a bad guy to learn from. And then in the second round... They went with the wide receiver. They couldn't resist the urge. I guess they needed somebody in the slot, and that player was uh, Rondale Moore out of Purdue. Yeah, and I mean, this is a guy who, you know, is a very good athlete. And you know, for all the for all the draft capital that the Arizona Cardinals have put into a slot receiver, this guy is going to start day one in the slot. It's him and Christian Kirk. I mean, they're going to be battling out there, and. Uh, We'll see what Rondale Moore brings to the table. He's certainly a gimmicky guy, um, shorter, smaller receiver, but he's got really good speed and he's got quickness and he can make people miss and break those tackles, kind of a running back out there. On day three, I noticed there was a trend for the Arizona Cardinals. They went with three defensive backs. They went with two corners and a safety. Did you like any of the picks on day three for the Cardinals? Well, I want to talk about Marco Wilson um, from Florida. Um, this is a guy who was a good cornerback for the for the Gators. He has four or five speed. He's got that borderline speed. But do you think do you think he has the speed to be the corner he was at Florida in the NFL? But was he a great corner in Florida? Every time I looked at that secondary of Florida the last couple of years, they were only getting burned. I mean, C.J. Henderson was a good one, but. The rest of the guys, I thought, underachieved. I mean, that secondary just didn't play well. And I wouldn't put Marco Wilson in that category and talk about him like he's the next replacement for Patrick Peterson. Oh, I don't, I don't I mean, mean it that way, but I thought he was... This is a guy who, even though he was... I, I wouldn't say a role player, but he wasn't, you know, he wasn't the guy at Florida. I mean, he wasn't the centerpiece of that Gators defense, but he was a piece to that defense. Well, everybody's a beast to that defense. I mean, he certainly played in a lot of games. He's versatile enough. He played in the slot. He played on the outside. His brother has also stuck around in the NFL, Quincy Wilson. He was a second-round pick of the Colts, I think, a few years back. So I think he's got that lineage out there. I'm just not really high on, on the Gators' secondary. And to answer your question, I don't think Marco Wilson is going to be a huge addition to the Arizona Cardinals secondary as far as I'm concerned. Let's do the Seattle Seahawks. Seattle Seahawks didn't have a first-round pick because of all the trades that they've made throughout the last couple of years, and they actually had only three picks. 
I thought Schneider was going to get a lot more creative, but they certainly weren't able to uh, to move up or down. In the second round, they went with the guy that you and I interviewed on this podcast back in the day, uh, before the season even started, and that was Dwayne Eskridge, a wide receiver from Western Michigan. Well, I'm not surprised. I mean, this is a guy who had hype, but... Um, I don't know if I'd put him in the second round category. I mean, I think he's an interesting player. I want him on my team, but to invest the second round pick in him seemed like a lot. And I know he did well at the Senior Bowl. He did. And the Seahawks always love those wide receivers that bring athleticism, that bring speed. And they, they've had success with those guys, whether they've been guys like DK Metcalf or Tyler Lockett and Dwayne Eskridge as a smaller guy. But He's not only going to help him in, as a slot receiver, but he's going to help him in the return game. Now, that's what the Seahawks need. They need a dangerous punt returner, kick returner, and that's what Eskridge I mean, excels at. In the fourth round, they went with the cornerback out of Oklahoma, a nickel corner, Trey Brown. I, I like this pick. I think this is a good player for the Oklahoma Sooners. You know he's gonna he can play in the slot. Um, you know he may not start, but I think he's a he's a roster piece. And in the sixth round, I mean, they found a player that you're really, really high on. Yeah, I mean, you get him in the sixth round. He's very long. He had good tape at Florida. Um, you know, I thought this was going to be like a fourth round pick um, to get him in the sixth round. I mean, this is a year that I like the Seahawks draft a lot better than I've liked it in the past. And let's mention the guys, uh, the the player that we're talking about. It's Stone Foresight. He was a left tackle at Florida. And most likely projects more as a right tackle at the next level, but he's a mammoth tackle that does pretty well, that holds up well in, in pass protection. The Los Angeles Rams, they obviously made a huge splash in the offseason by trading away Jared Goff and bringing in Matthew Stafford. Now the expectations are through the roof. I mean, people are talking about Super Bowl or bust with the Los Angeles Rams. And Stafford has never been in this position before, but the Rams did go to the Super Bowl a couple of years back when they lost to the New England Patriots. They had a lot of picks, but it was mainly on day three. In the first round, they didn't have a selection. In the second round, they went with Mighty Mouse, Tutu Atwell, the wide receiver out of Louisville. Yeah, and Tutu Atwell is a player I like. He's speedy, he's, he's a good route runner. I, I defend this pick for the Rams in the second round. Um, I don't know how he's going to get on the field, though. They have a lot of receivers ahead of him. Well, they like to draft wide receivers, and they, they've got Robert Woods. they got Cooper Cup. They've got Van Jefferson. But Tutu Atwell, I think, is another guy that can help as a return specialist. Again, we always talk about wide receivers, but as rookies, these guys that can do multiple things, guys that are drafted on, on day two, day three, we forget that they're going to help you is a returner, and that's huge value on special teams. Not necessarily that they're going to get on the field and get a lot of snaps on offense as a wide receiver. And Atwell brings speed, dangerous speed, and he can make people miss in the open field. In the third round, they drafted an inside linebacker, Ernest Jones, out of South Carolina. In the fourth round, they had three picks. Bobby Brown, the big nose tackle, out of Texas A&M. Then they went with Robert Rochelle, a cornerback out of Central Arkansas, who was at the Senior Bowl. And another wide receiver in the fourth round was Jacob Harris out of UCF. 
Yeah, I'm not. I'm not a huge fan of any of these picks, really. Um, I don't really understand why they went with Ernest Jones in the third round. Can you kind of give me the reasoning behind that pick? He was a junior that came out. He's a sound tackler. You know, he's really agile in terms of dropping back into zone. You know, in the three-four defense, it's hard to argue. I mean, the Rams have found good value as far as getting those linebackers on day two. So. I think they found one. Uh, Bobby Brown, another guy that I think is just going to be able to take on double teams. He's a good run defender. He can push the pocket. And with Aaron Donald, you're not going to be taking on double teams. Donald is going to be the one doing that. So Bobby Brown has some potential. Robert Rochelle, I mean, they went with a cornerback that has size, long arms, speed, athleticism this guy tested through the roof did you like any of the picks on on day three i mean they chose another they chose a couple of defensive linemen they got chris garrett uh, who we interviewed he was an edge rusher from concordia in the seventh round were you a fan of any of the picks I think the last two picks were pretty good. Um, Skrowanek was a guy I I, li- I liked what I saw from him uh, in the one on ones. Uh, you know, at the Senior Bowl, I thought he you know showed some good things in practice. Uh, Chris Garrett, I mean, small school guy. Um, you know, we liked him on the podcast. He was just kind of like a strip sack machine, you know, a fumble machine. And yeah, those those guys are definitely worth taking, especially if you only have to invest a seventh round pick in them. Let's make a switch. Let's go from the NFC West to the AFC West division. And uh, let's start with the Los Angeles Chargers because I think they're going to be a hot team that people are going to be talking about this offseason leading up to, to the 2021 NFL season. Justin Herbert obviously had a great season. You know, they bring in a new head coach and, and Staley. The defensive coordinator, a lot of people believe that he's going to be a positive influence on that defense, that he's going to make them, his scheme is going to be more friendly to the types of players that they have. So the Chargers are going to be one of those sexy picks as far as making the playoffs because people are going to be expecting them to take that step forward. And in the first round, the Los Angeles Chargers needed to address the left tackle position. They obviously feel that Rashawn Slater solves that problem. I don't quite understand taking Rashawn Slater at number 13, you know, and making him your left tackle. I mean, you you even, you know, would say that he's more of a guard projection. I, I think he was a great guy. who's a great athlete, but I was not impressed with his tape. In the second round, the, the Chargers also needed to address the cornerback position in this draft. And, and they did that with the selection of Asante Samuel Jr., Sonny Samuel is, uh, I, I like this pick. I mean, you, you only invest a second round pick, pick in him and, uh, you know, he helps you in the slot. I think uh, the question is, is, you know, why did they go with a slot guy there? Um, you know, you got Chris Harris. I mean, he's a slot guy. Um, you know, who, who, is your, who is your kind of primary slot guy now? I think this is an indication that the Chargers believe that Asante Samuel Jr. is going to play on the outside. I mean, this guy plays bigger than his size. And he's an above average run defender. He's got good ball skills. The only thing holding him back is his size. But we've seen some guys excel in the NFL. I mean, they've played on the outside. I just think this is a signal that the Chargers believe he's going to be an outside corner for them. And that's where they're going to try him. In the third round, the Chargers made, you know, I would say questionable picks. Wide receiver from Tennessee, Josh Palmer, and then they went with the tight end out of Georgia, Trey McKitty. 
Josh Palmer was another guy who showed some things, you know, in the senior bowl one-on-ones. And I think that's why he got picked. Uh, you know, he's a Canadian player um, out of Tennessee. Trey McKitty is not a pick I really am that much of a fan of. Neither really is Chris Rumpf. Um, I I think it was a little too early to go with him. And then none of the really fifth through seventh round picks really stuck with me. I think Larry Roundtree is kind of overrated, and I think he could have been an undrafted guy. So it sounds like the only pick that you like is Asante Samuel Jr., and therefore the Chargers get a a pretty low grade from you. Yeah, I give them a C. Um, Maybe Josh Palmer is another pick that would interest me. But yeah, I give them a C, and maybe, maybe I was being a little too generous. All right, I guess we'll see. I mean, again, the the Chargers are going to be a hot team. People are going to be talking about playoffs with this team. Speaking of teams that didn't have a good draft or reached in the first round, we got to go with the Las Vegas Raiders, I guess. I mean, another team in the NFC West, and uh, the expectations are through the roof with John Gruden and Mike Mayock. I mean, the excitement was through the roof when... When first they hired a head coach, then they brought in this analyst, whiz, that knew everything about the draft, but just he hasn't been able to solve any of the problems. He hasn't been able to find and and build the right team. And again, in the first round, he reached for offensive lineman Alex Leatherwood. Yeah, and I mean, he defended the pick. You know, he said other GMs told him, uh, you know, that you got yourself an NFL right tackle. Alex Leatherwood would have been a fine pick, you know, if if he was on day two. But to spend the 17th pick on Alex Leatherwood was a bit bit of a reach for me. I'm a big fan of Trayvon Merrig. You know, the Raiders needed to find another safety. They needed to get an upgrade from Jonathan Abrams. And they found a guy that has very good ball skills, that covers a lot of ground in the deep half. So I'm a big fan of the TCU safety. Yeah, and I mean, you only you only gave up a second round pick to get him. I think this is actually interesting. Is that safeties? You can almost get a good one in the second round. You don't even have to get them in the first round. Um, even though they play in a, in a critical role in your defense, especially I mean, these teams with you know these creative defensive coordinators. But yeah, I mean, for some reason, these guys fall to the second round. In the third round, the Raiders went with an edge rusher. He's probably going to play defensive end for them, Malcolm Coons. And then they also went with Divine Diablo, another safety in the third round. And then in the fourth round, they went with another safety in Tyree Gillespie. Can you explain this to me? I mean, three safeties in the same draft? I mean, maybe I I don't understand something, Ed. Yeah, I I don't really know what Mike Mayock is doing in in, in Raiderland, but... To spend three picks on one position is just, I, I've never really heard of that. I mean, it's like, it, it was almost like when I said, <laughs> remember remember this, this is a blast from the past, but remember when I said, oh, you know, the Cleveland Browns, they can't find a quarterback, so they should go with Sam Darnold and Josh Rosen. That was the desperation that this looks like, right? Yeah, I mean, I just don't understand that. I guess they go with the best player available on the board. I mean, that's what GMs do with front offices. I mean, they select the best player on the board. But if you go by that analysis, that what are you going to do? I mean, are you going to draft like seven safeties or seven wide receivers or seven offensive linemen? I mean, drafting three safeties is, is a little suspect. And it just it makes me think that they're not happy with the safeties that they have on the roster. And that means... Jonathan Abrams' days are, are going to be numbered. And remember, he was a first-round pick a few years back, and 
certainly hasn't lived up to the hype. Do you like any of the picks that the Raiders made? I mean, besides Merrig, I guess. I mean, can you give them credit for any of the picks on day three? I, I like the Jimmy Morrissey pick, the you know, guy you interviewed and Pitt Panther. I thought he was a good pick. I'm actually kind of surprised he fell to the seventh round. I, I second that. I think they found a, a guy that's capable of being their starter down the line at center just because of what he has shown during his college career. And I'm going to be rooting for Jimmy Morrissey. He's kind of that that tough, hardworking Raiders type of player, like old school Raiders type of player. We're not talking about the 90s. We're talking about way back in the day, like in the 70s, when, when the Raiders really mattered. I hope Mike Mayock and John Gruden know what they're doing. I hope we're all wrong. I mean, they still have a good team around Derek Carr, they just need to fix that defense. And I don't think they've done enough by, by drafting three safeties here. Denver Broncos, a team that had the, the ninth overall pick in this draft, a team that's been linked to Aaron Rodgers, but obviously it hasn't materialized, and they had to bring in Teddy Bridgewater um, to address and compete with Drew Locke. With the ninth overall pick, we Justin Fields was on the board. Mac Jones was on the board, but the Denver Broncos decided to pass on a quarterback, and they went with a favorite corner for most. Ed had him as his number one corner on the board, and that's Patrick Sartain II. I like the pick. I remember looking at my TV when that happened, and I was like shocked that they didn't take a quarterback. And I, I know that there was Aaron Rodgers talk at the time, but... I just, I was like, really? <laughs> you know, like, you didn't go with the offensive side of the ball? And, and and the pick makes a lot of sense. I defend the pick like I, like, I like the pick. I just remember being kind of, like, surprised at the time. I think the Broncos believed that maybe Trey Lance was going to be available at nine. And a couple of days before that, they probably found out that the 49ers were going to take him. And that's the reason why they traded for Teddy Bridgewater. The timing of the situation makes me think that they believed that another quarterback was going to fall, that the 49ers were going to go with Mac Jones and Trey Lance was going to be available at nine. I think that was the quarterback that they targeted all along. The whole story is kind of fishy because if they liked Teddy Bridgewater that much, they would have traded for him a long time ago. And they only did that a couple of days before the draft. And that basically took him out of the quarterback question. And then they signed Ronald Darby. They signed Kyle Fuller. There was a couple of guys that they brought in in, in free agency. And then they obviously you know, drafted Patrick Sartain the second. So they, they made the cornerback room a lot stronger, but I'm still not sure about what they're going to do at quarterback. With the second round pick, they went with the running back from North Carolina, Javante Williams, and they actually traded up for him in order to get him. I'm wondering, Alex, I mean, is, is are the Broncos going to be like a real running football team? I mean, they got Mike Boone. I mean, the, I, I know he's kind of like a hidden name, but he's a nice chick. Wow. Mike Boone. Damn. Well, let me, fin- let me finish. I mean, there's Mike Boone, who is your number three. And then you got Javante Williams, who's your number two. And then you got Melvin Gordon. I mean, you could just run the football if you're the Broncos. And and I think that's what they're going to do. I think they're going to run the football. And you know what? They're going to control the clock. They're going to have a good defense. And I think this is going to be a ball control type of football team. 
I think you're basically stating the obvious because Drew Locke hasn't proven that he can be a capable starter in this league, even if he wins that job. Teddy Bridgewater is a guy that excels off of play action passes. He's more of a game manager who needs a strong running game. And he failed last year because Christian McCaffrey was injured. Yeah, absolutely. But Melvin Gordon has been a disappointment. Ever since he signed here with the Denver Broncos, he's been injury prone. I thought that was a mistake by Denver, and they're basically stating the obvious that they want Javante Williams to become the lead dog. We'll see if he's going to be able to outplay Melvin Gordon in training camp. But they lost Philip Lindsay. They're going to run the football. I mean, that's that's what they're going to have to do unless they, again, I'm dropping this out there, unless they trade for Aaron Rodgers somehow. In the third round, they had two picks, and they chose small school offensive lineman that rose during this process. He was a top 100 pick. Quinn Miners, Wisconsin Whitewater, Division Three school. And with the other third round pick, they went with Ohio State linebacker, Baron Browning. Well, with the Miners pick, I mean, this is, this is, yeah, this was a hot name at the Senior Bowl. I mean, this is one of the guys that, you know, had the camera pointed at him at the Senior Bowl as a small school guy. He was a small school story in Mobile. In the fifth round, I know you like this pick, and the Denver Broncos have had some success finding safeties. They found Justin Simmons in the third round, and he's turned out to be an all-pro. They drafted Caden Stearns from Texas. I mean, I have to say, like, I mean, the Broncos really understand how to get a good secondary. And, you know, you could say what you want about Vic Fangio and, you know, his quarterback choice and so forth, but, man, he, he knows how to build a secondary. Well, Vic Fangio is a great defensive coordinator. I mean, that's that's where he makes his money, and it's not his fault that they drafted Drew Locke. I mean, that, that wasn't his call. I'm sure that was John Elway's call. So you can't blame Vic Fangio for, you know, having Drew Locke. I mean, that's just part of it. In the fifth round, after taking Caden Stearns, they went with another safety, Jamar Johnson out of Indiana, um, another guy that had a terrific junior year. He picked off Justin Fields a couple of times and made a name for himself against Ohio State. In the sixth round, they went with the big wide receiver out of Auburn, Seth Williams, who I believe needs to find a heartbeat because he just <laughs> his work ethic is questionable to say the least, and his effort is just not there on a on a play to play basis. And in the seventh round, they went with Kerry Vincent Jr cornerback out of LSU, defensive end Jonathan Cooper out of Ohio State, and another defensive end Marquis Spencer out of Mississippi State. Do you like any other, any of the other picks on day three? Can I propose an idea in training camp for Seth Williams? I say you you, you have one cornerback. You tell one of, one of your young cornerbacks or one of your is say, you know what? Really start John at Seth Williams. You know what I mean? Really, like, tell him, you know, something real mean. You know what I'm saying? I'm not going to say it on this podcast, but, you know, those things are said between corners and receivers. You know, light a fire under him. I think that's what you need to do. Light a fire under him. He's 6'3". He he really does have some potential. I I really do think that this guy can be a good receiver if you light a fire under him. Well, the Denver Broncos have a really good wide receiver core. They've got Cortland Sutton, who's coming back from an injury. They've got a promising wide receiver, Jerry Judy. He's got to look at that competition in training during practice, and that's got to light a fire on him. I remember J.C. Horn challenging Seth Williams 
when South Carolina played against Auburn. Seth Williams was bothered by it. So I'm not sure it's a good idea to light a fire under him because I don't think he can handle it. J.C. Horn got in his head, and Seth Williams a couple of times during the game, he reacted to it. So when a cornerback is able to get into your head, the game is over. That's it. Potential is there, but he's very, he's got to develop thick skin. I mean, he's a professional now, and I hope, you know, he's, he's able to to become one. We'll see. Patrick Sartain and Seth Williams, I mean, they faced off against each other in the SEC for a couple of years. So that should be interesting. So we talked about the Chargers. We talked about the Las Vegas Raiders. We talked about Denver. I left the best for last. The Kansas City Chiefs, who've been in the Super Bowl two years straight. They won one the, the previous year. They lost one to the Bucks this past year. They didn't have a first-round pick, but with the second-round pick, they chose an inside linebacker, Nick Bolton, out of Missouri. Yeah, this is another linebacker pick that I don't understand. It was like when they took uh, Sion, not them, but so another team took Sion Takitaki. It's just like there always seems to be like one, a couple like linebackers that I just don't understand why they were taken on day two. But anyway, um, that's kind of that's kind of how I feel about it. Um, but yeah, I do want to talk about Creed Humphrey. Well, let's talk about Creed Humphrey. At the end of the second round, they, they chose the center out of Oklahoma. Yeah, I, I, I love the pick, and I, and it was best player available, and I, I fully support the pick, and I think he is the center of the future. Um, the interesting thing is, is that the Chiefs now have a very good offensive line, and they did a great job rebuilding their offensive line. Damn, they needed that after that Super Bowl performance that, that they had. I mean, they needed to get younger, and they needed to address the offensive line, and that's a given, especially how you know Patrick Mahomes was running for his life from the Tampa Bay Bucks in that Super Bowl. On day three, uh, Joshua Kando, Noah Gray, the tight end out of Duke, wide receiver out of Clemson, Cornell Powell, who had a, a really good senior year. In the sixth round, they went with Trey Smith, offensive lineman from Tennessee. Do you like any of the picks on day three? I'm okay with the Noah Gray pick. You know, he's not Travis Kelsey, um, but I think he makes the team. All right, that's promising. At least he's going to make the team as, as a fifth-rounder. <laughs> They're also hoping he makes the team. Um, you know, obviously, fifth-rounder should be able to make the team as a backup. We mentioned the NFC West draft, the AFC West draft. Out of those eight teams... Who had the best draft? I know it sounds weird, but I mean, the Seattle Seahawks did a lot with their three picks. I just, I have to say that. Really? They did a lot with their three really? picks. Wow. And I mean, when we, we broke them down, I mean, you actually, you weren't so high and so keen on Dwayne Eskridge in the second round. Yeah, but I mean, I, I like all the, I mean, Stone Forsyth, Trey Brown. I mean, this is... You know, Trey Brown, I mean, that's that's the way to draft corners is, you know, I don't believe in investing. I mean, unless it's like Patrick Sertain on the board, I don't really believe in investing in like high-end cornerbacks. I think, I think you go with a volume, you know, you kind of draft the position every year. And I think you, you spend like day three picks, you know, fourth round, fifth round picks on corners. I think that's how you build a cornerback group. I just, you go, you go after, you know, a first round guy. And you just don't, you just don't know what's in his head, you know. Look, admit it, Ed. Let's let's admit it. Let, let's look in the mirror. 
I mean, you elevated the Seahawks because of Stone Foresight in the sixth round. Yeah, I mean, I love it. I mean, as a sixth-round pick, I mean, as a guy who played for the Florida Gators, he was their left tackle. I mean, he's you put the right weight on a guy like that, he becomes an absolute beast, too. I hope Stone Foresight becomes an all-pro at left tackle for the Seahawks because if he doesn't, if he becomes a backup, we can't justify giving the Seahawks a high grade based on on those three picks. I mean, one of those guys has got to become an old pro, and I hope Ed is right about Stone Foresight. We'll see what happens. Well, I there. mean, really, I'm gonna really, go... realize the rest of their draft was, was used for other things, too. Well, they only had three picks, right? I mean, they got a tackle, they got a corner, and they got a wide receiver slash return specialist. I mean, three picks is brutal. In any case, I mean that's. Brutal. But I mean, but I mean, even when you st- the thing is, is ever you know ultimately like you trade your picks, but ultimately it's like if you're using your picks right, that's that's how you win, right? Sometimes a good trade. I mean, it's like with the Bears, it's like you know they gave up like three or four picks to get to get Justin Fields, but if Justin Fields becomes the franchise quarterback, then it's all worth it, you know. I hope it works out for the Bears as well. I really do. I mean, obviously, they gave up a lot to to find their future quarterback, and I'm all for it. You know I'm not a big Justin Fields fan, but I'm rooting for Fields in Chicago. I am. Even though I didn't give him a a passing grade, he was my fifth quarterback on the board, but I just hope it works out for Chicago. I'm going to be a homer. I'm going to say the San Francisco 49ers because I'm behind the Trey Lance pick. I love the Aaron Banks pick. I, I can get behind the Trey Sermon pick. Because he can work in that in that running back committee that Kyle Shanahan runs. I love the Hufanga pick in the fifth round. So I'm going to be a little bit of a homer. I'm going to support the San Francisco 49ers. And again, I think the the sky is the limit for them this year. I hope you know Jimmy G stays healthy or Trey Lance just becomes an awesome quarterback as a rookie. All right. Thank you for listening to another episode of Blitzcast. This was a recap of the AFC West and NFC West divisions as far as the draft is concerned and and looking for Julio to finally land in the right spot. We'll see where that's going to be after June 1st. Take care, everyone.